Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to Wednesday's Daily Bible Reading Podcast. Are you tired? I just heard you sigh. We haven't even started yet. Man, I am tired. (sighs) I, I am very tired. All right, let's start off with a light note then. Give us a resource, a show that you're watching, a song that you're liking, a book that you're reading. Give us something that you have been enjoying lately and something that you think, you know what? Everybody else ought to do this. Ah, man, I don't. don't Uh, What about a song? You sent me a song recently that you really liked. That was by Sixpence None the Richer. I think it was Kiss Me. It was not that, not at all. But that is a good song. It's not a good song. It is. It's up there with Taylor Swift. It's not good at all. It's, uh, It's awful. Hey, you know, I saw a clip of Taylor Swift. She, I mean, I'm sorry. Well, it, <laughs> there was this uh, kid with cancer, a very aggressive form of cancer. And she put her like in the really special, super close up front row. And then for part of her concert, she went and like sang right to her and put a hat, put her, you know, her hat on her. And it was really cool. man. I was moved. I don't, I don't know Taylor Swift from John Doe r- really well, except for some of her music, but I was touched. It was really sweet. Well, she loves that child because it's out of the womb. So Okay. But, uh, all right. Yeah. No, the, the song, I guess, is a Beautiful Scandalous Night by Robbie. Well, Robbie Sixpence, C. None the, none the Richer. Robbie C. recorded it. Shannon Shane just recorded it, too. So, oh. Yeah. But, and that was, uh, a good, that was a good version of that song. I like that. Basically, anything that Shane and Shane does over is usually better than the original. They're talented. They're crazy talented. Yeah. They, and they, they always have been. Their old stuff is some of my favorite. Their acoustic stuff that yeah. it's just the two of them you can yeah. find some of it on youtube from actually common ground coffee shop down in waco by baylor university which is still there oh are they from there they went to texas a&m okay cool so but they did some some concerts all over the state early on well i do like them they're one of my favorite groups yeah yeah uh i, I would agree they're great and they they're go good. to watermark church now right in dallas they're involved i they're traveling so much. I don't know if you could say they go there, but they, they do worship there quite often. And I know the worship initiative, Davy Flowers and some others yeah. are heavily involved there. Watermark, it, it's a good church for what it is. I mean, they they are serious about the gospel. I mean, they, they are, are heavy on that. And uh, and there's a lot of people that go there, man. There's a ton of people that go there. Yeah. It doesn't always mean that that's a sign of a healthy church. That's for sure. But... You know, I, th- I think Watermark is a good church for people getting saved and, and learning some of the foundations and basics of, of Christianity. Do you think that large churches in general pose a difficulty to, to being a healthy church? No, no. Um, no, I think large church can be done well. In fact, I know there are some people that are part of our church plant that like that we're small right now. And I always hear that with a little bit of a, a cringe because our goal is not to stay small. Uh, I think if you consider any living organism, any living organism, which the church is the, the body of Christ that's not growing is not healthy. And so we don't want to become Preston Wood, you know, as far as being size 26,000 people, not, not that we ever would, but, but we want to grow. We want to be healthy and we want to grow. And, and, and I think if you're involved and you're plugged in and you're connected in a way, it's kind of like the frog in boiling water. It's it's going to grow, and you're going to look around one day and be like, oh, look, 
this is a larger church than I thought it was going to be, but because I'm connected and I've got my inner community within the broader body of Christ, I still feel like this is a, a place where I'm known and I know other people and, and I'm, I'm being shepherded well. So I, I don't think large church equals dysfunctional church by any stretch. Yeah. And part of the problem is, I guess, making the big church small and, and people can be, uh, you know, put off by that because it's like, oh, there's so many people here. I'm never going to know anybody. My pastors aren't going to know me. And I guess that's, a, that's possible but that's not always true. Right. Uh, it's really a matter of the kind of approach that you take to the church and whether or not you get involved. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, let's get into our reading today. Numbers 11, 12, and 13. Let's do it, man. Let's see. These are some rich chapters. Yeah. Yeah. Hard chapters. Numbers 11, uh, for example, title of, of this chapter for me was just questioning leadership. Um, and that's what's going on here. The How people, dare they? Yeah, right. You better never question us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's good reasons to question leadership sometimes, but not in this situation. Uh, numbers 11, 1 through 3, they're just genu- general complaining. Uh, brings this immediate and stern response from God. The, the, the first instance we have of grumbling, complaining post-Sinai here. Um, as the, the, the people continue on, they, they are grumbling about not having any meat to eat. The way that they used to have this abundance in Egypt and in God's anger is kindled against them. Again, here you have the people looking back fondly at Egypt, fondly at their slavery, fondly at the place where they were grumbling in Egypt and God heard their grumbling there. And that's what he brought Moses to them for. And so now they're out of the the the, uh, the, the slavery situation there and they're, they're grumbling again, this time about, well, we don't have any, any meat. We, we want meat and, and God's going to give them meat <laughs> in uh, in quite, quite a, a full... Uh, abundance there and so he provides the the quail and ends up giving them the uh, the meat there am i in the right chapter yeah no I, i'm i'm getting mad at my logos it wasn't you okay my logos is acting like a pastor fool. Rod threw his computer across the room i, would, and no, I, just, I, I didn't know what was going on i was about to man logos has been doing this weird thing where it's not responding to my prompts so there's a bug well, Moses is, is frustrated and he goes to the Lord and he grumbles to the Lord. He the says, people are bugging. Yeah. Why, why did you give me this group? What, what did you do? Why did you put this on me? I don't feel like I'm adequate to be able to handle this. And so God says, okay, well, well here, I'm going to have you take 70 elders and you're going to give 70 elders. Uh, I'm going to give rather, God says, a portion of my spirit to these 70 elders who are going to help you. Uh, not just in the administrative tasks, because remember that was back in Exodus chapter 18, but now in the spiritual oversight of the people. They're going to be there to, to serve alongside Moses in that capacity to help um, guide and, and, and shepherd the people as well. So these are distinct, at least in my understanding, PR, I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts, but these are distinct from the 70 elders that he's already appointed previously that Jethro encouraged him to appoint. I think so. I, it seems like that, even though it's hard sometimes to draw a distinction between which kind of elders we're talking to or about, it seems like this is a different group of people. So I would be inclined to agree with you. Maybe some overlap. Who knows? Yeah. It could yeah be some, they would serve in both functions. People. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God responds to the, the request for meat by saying, okay, you want meat? You're going to get meat. And uh, he gives meat in so much supply that it would turn into something the Israelites despised after they had been craving it because they had rejected the Lord. Um, there's uh, in Numbers eleven twenty one. The, the number 600,000 again, uh, and we've talked about the, the number situation here. Here's another example of where this would be a number that would imply that 2 million uh, number for the entirety of the body again there of Israelites. So 600,000 are there, but uh, but they're going to provide this this meat and, uh, and it's going to take something that you think you want and turn it into something that, man, you, you really realize maybe I should have thought better about that. And God still does that today. Uh, in so many ways, when we think, man, this would be so good for me and we get angry with God for not providing something that 
we think would be what we need or what we want or what we deserve. Sometimes we get that thing and God is showing us this isn't really what you thought it was going to be. Probably one of the best ways to look at that today that's most obvious is with money. Yeah. Man, my problems would be over if I just had this number of dollars in my bank account, if I had this much saved. And often money is helpful to a point. Certainly you right. want to have basic living expenses and be able to afford food, clothing, shelter, gas, and all the like. But after a certain number, it's like money reveals what's really in our heart. Mm-hmm. The, the God that we truly trust and love and money can be such a bad thing for us because it creates a false dependency mm-hmm. and it reveals that. So yeah, this is, it's food for them, but what is it for us? Right. Money's one of those things, but what, what is it for you perhaps? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's question when the people begin to die while the teeth were, while the meat was still between their teeth, they've wondered, okay, what was this plague? Was it food poisoning? Was it, you know, something more? I think it was probably something more. I think this is a supernatural. God's using it's digestive issues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. IBS. All of the all of the toilets in the camp were, were plugged <laughs> up. No, this is and this is serious. And, and God is again demonstrating His holiness that the people were to trust Him and not grumble against Him or His appointed leadership. Dude, what's up with verse five, man? These guys are like, oh, back in Egypt, things are so good. <laughs> right. Why do they keep doing this? Right. What gives? Right. That's what I was saying. I mean, they, they in Egypt, they were complaining and, and begging God to deliver them from Egypt. And now they're complaining to go and back. saying, can we go back? Can we go back to that? That was one of the, that was the good old days. Right. So when the good old days, they, in their mind, they fostered this idea of good old days that actually weren't good old days. Right. Faulty right. memory. Yeah. Yeah, and, and at, at some point, I don't know if it's here, sometimes it runs together for me in, in all of this, but they even appoint people to say, okay, we've got our people, they're going to lead us back to Egypt. I mean, it's just, yeah, you, it's it's crazy. And yet I'm, I, I want to have a, a humble enough view of myself to say, okay, where would I have been if I was there? Yeah. Where would I have been? I would have been Joshua. You would have been Joshua. Yep. Okay, great. Awesome. <laughs> well, I don't know where I would have been. Uh, but chapter 12, we find more opposition to Moses' leadership, but from quite an unexpected source here. Um, things have been running along pretty smoothly. In fact, it's been Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron. This one probably hurt the most. Probably, yeah. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. Th- these are his people, literally, like yep. his actual kindred. Yeah. What's up with this? Yeah. Yeah. Miriam and Aaron uh, come forward and they take issue with Moses' position, arguing that they too hear from Yahweh in a similar fashion to how Moses. Here's from Yahweh. Um, and, and Miriam seems to be the spokesperson here and uses Moses' marriage to this Cushite woman. And, and there's a question here. Was this Zipporah? Was this another wife that he took? Uh, it seems that the commentators are, are pretty vague about landing confidently anywhere there. But but nonetheless, this is a smokescreen for Miriam to really get to the, the bigger issue, which is she's jealous for Moses' position. And she's jealous for Moses' authority. And so she and Aaron together uh, come forward and accuse Moses of seizing a position that he shouldn't have. Verse three is funny because remember who wrote the book of numbers? <laughs> Moses did. If it's true, man, it's not, it's not pseudo humility. Well, yeah, no, that's true. But I think it's funny that Moses is writing and saying, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who are on the face <laughs> of the earth. He sits back. He goes, that's a good line. I, that was the best line I probably ever wrote. Good line. <laughs> but for real though, this is awkward. This is one of the reasons why we think there's maybe some editorial activity happening post Moses, not bad editor- editorial stuff. I mean, you, you talked about this a couple episodes ago that maybe Deuteronomy had some compilation happening. Right. This It's lines like this that you say, maybe it wasn't all Moses, but that doesn't change the fact that it's primarily Moses who's driving uh, why this is an authorized account uh, on behalf of God. So it's funny, but it's also potential 
to say, okay, well, maybe there's more than Moses going on here. Right. And that's that's not to say that we open the door to like the, the JEDP. JEDP theory right. or anything else like that. The, the documentary hypothesis theory is what it, it's known by in, in the text critical world. This Which, is, high level overview. Quickly explain that, please. Yeah, so the JEDP, you've got J uh, because of the, the pronunciation, soft J, the, the Yahwistic um, uh, editor. Then you've got the E, which is Elohim. You've got the D, which is the Deuteronomic. Deuteronomical? Deuteronomical? Deuteronomical sounds yeah. better. Let me, let me look it up over here. And then P is the priestly. And basically it breaks down into there's four editors in the Pentateuch and that you can identify different portions of the Pentateuch uh, in accordance with their themes or even sometimes the titles for God that are used there. Deuteronomistic. Deuteronomist. There you go. Deuteronomist. Thank Deuteronomist. You. Yeah. So Yahwist, uh, Elohim, Deuteronomist, and Priestly. And so the, the the text critics say this was not written by Moses. It was compiled. There's there's four different editors or redactors, and they're the ones that, that put this all together. Uh, that undermines the, the biblical testimony, which even Jesus himself refers back to what Moses wrote right. in the Pentateuch. And so uh, we reject that outright. But to say there could have been some editors that came through to, to add some things here and there, that's that's not the same thing. Cool. Anyways, uh, Miriam's the one who's going to speak. Miriam's going to be the one that's going to draw the wrath of God. She ends up leprous, and Moses intercedes. And Moses is just a gracious dude, isn't he? He's a, he's a guy that is humble. I, I mean, I think verse 3 is, is accurate for him. How many times God looks at Moses and says, Moses, back up. I'm going to start over with you. I'm going to start with you. You can start everything brand new again. I'm going to wipe out the people. How many times Moses intercedes to to plead for other people to receive mercy from God. And here he does it again with his siblings, Miriam and Aaron. And yet God says, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll stay in my wrath, but she's at least going to be out of the camp for seven days because of what she's done. And she's going to stay out there for those seven days. So another example of, of Moses's uh, authority challenged herein. Recall that Miriam is called a prophet. She's the one who takes some of the song of Moses and sings it herself. Scripture honors her and identifies her as some sort of a leader um, among the camp. So it's not it's it's not unkind of God to hold her to a much higher standard. In fact, God holds Moses to a high standard yeah. that will be highlighted later on as we make our way through this book. But his response to Miriam is really gracious, all things considered. Uh, he should, the, the leprosy that Moses kind of negotiated down to just a, a period of time, seems like it would have been totally right of God to say, you know what, no, you, you've defiled the camp, you've, you've sinned against us, you've sinned against your brother Moses. Miriam got what she deserved, but she got far less than she deserved, I would argue. But on top of that, also notice this here. The whole camp has to wait on her. Verse 15, Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. So mm. her sin delays everybody else. And that is the nature of sin. It is always going to have collateral damage. People around you are going to suffer the most. And usually the people that suffer the most are those that are closest to you. Yeah. Fight sin. Otherwise it'll fight and kill you. Yeah. yeah. Aaron's funny in this situation because he really doesn't talk until the very end where he's like, oh man, Moses, <laughs> don't kill us. But he's just kind of like, I don't know. I picture him kind of slinking in the background with Miriam being the one that's like, come on, Aaron. Beta. <laughs> he's a beta male in this situation. He, he here. seems to be. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, numbers 13, then we get into the spies, the spies. And this is one of the more familiar stories because this is at the heart of one of the pivotal moments in the book of numbers. And that is when God looks at an entire generation of Israelites and says, Hey, you're not going, you're not going, you're going to die in the wilderness. 
And it's because of what happens here. The, the Lord spoke to Moses, and notice the Lord commands this. The Lord commands the spies to be sent out. This is not Moses saying, hey, go check things out and see if this is feasible for us. This was a test of faith that God gave to the Israelites to say, are, the, are you going to trust me here? I want you to go look. I want you to go see the land. I want you to go see the people of the land. And then I want you to believe that I'm going to deliver this land into your possession. Well, if you know the story, they fail. They fail miserably. In fact, all of them except for two of the spies fail horribly in this. And Joshua, the son of Nun, who is called Hoshea there in verse 8. And then Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh in verse 6. So Joshua and Caleb are the only two that come back and say, we can do this. Let's go. We can do this. Everybody else says, no, we can't do it. They're too big. They're too scary. Uh, we, we're, we're toast if we go try to do this. What's really interesting here. Is, is Joshua stands outside of the, the number of spies. He's there, clearly. But he's outside of the number of the spies uh, because you have representation from every tribe. Yeah. Uh, Caleb is one of them, and he's from the tribe of Judah, which is really interesting, fascinating. But the people that go out to do the spying are chief among them. So he says, verse two, send out a man, everyone a chief. So these guys are the leaders. These guys are elders. These guys are men that would be understood as, yeah, we want to send this guy. He, he's, he's, he's running the show. He's commanding some kind of authority in the camp. And what's so tragic about this is that if you have leaders in any way show fear or hesitation, that's going to bleed. And that certainly does this. So it's 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 heartbreaking, not only because they forfeited the promised land for themselves, but they also took everybody else with them. Yeah, it yeah. is awful. This is the, one of the be- the biggest tragedies in the book of Numbers. Yeah, and and notice in chapter thirteen the repeated reference to the phrase "the land, the land, the land, the land." Remember Abrahamic covenant. There's there's key components in there: the future descendants and the land. Those are two of the main. Uh, promises of God re- revolving around the, the Abrahamic covenant there. So as they're talking about the land, this is not new information for Israel. This is something that they would have understood and been able to trace back to the great hope that they had that came from the Abrahamic covenant. So this was land that was promised to them. They had that information. This is not all of a sudden a group of people who were unaware of these promises. And so the, the lack of faith is even more emphatically illustrated for us by the the repetition here in the recording of this, of this is the land. This is the land that Abraham was promised. And here are the people saying, no, we're not going to go. Even in spite of, of Caleb saying, let's go. We are able to do this. And yet they say, no, we, uh, we're not going to do this. We're, we're going to stay here because we're afraid. Yeah, to your point here, it makes it all the more egregious that they would have such incredible doubt. But it's really interesting, too, because Caleb about this time is, is about 40 years old. So yeah. he's not a young buck. He's lived, he's lived long enough to see God's faithfulness and leading them through the wilderness. He's now seeing that the, the, they're on the precipice of the promised land. And he stands out, he and Joshua stand out as, as pillars among a crowd of, of cowards. Um, one thing they say, though, Pastor PJ, I would love for you to comment on, if you have any thoughts about this, is verse 33, when they come back and they bring the evil report, the bad report, it says here that they saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. So the Nephilim, the last time we saw them was in Genesis chapter 6, where, and of course, Genesis chapter six is before Genesis chapter nine. See how that works out there? Mm-hmm. Okay, you tracking with that? Six is before. Okay, so Genesis six, they show up, they're there. They're the sons of God, right? Genesis nine, you have the flood. So we would presume that these men died or these, these people died. So where did the Nephilim come from? Why are they here again? Or is it just them saying something exaggerated? I, uh, I, I'm unprepared to answer that question. 
Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate the the honesty. So does so does the uh, so do the listeners. Well, okay, really quick then, just to remind you guys, the Nephilim, uh, if you remember Gen- Genesis chapter six, we were talking about this way back when, uh, Nephilim are what we believe a crossbreed of humans and angels. Angels, the sons of God, had the, had desires for the sons of men. They created a, a race of humans, demigods of sorts, who were large, imposing. And so here, it seems like, in my best guess here, would be that the people are bringing back a report of exaggerated importance of these people. Um, they're effectively trying to scare off the people of Israel to say, don't do it, guys. Don't do it. The people there are too scary. The, the enemy is too big and too powerful. You go there, you're going to get eaten. You're going to be smashed like bugs if you go. So I don't think that the Nephilim are necessarily here uh, as, as a literal group of people other than to say they're afraid. They, they really want to discourage the people from being obedient, which is awful. Not only, again, do they disqualify themselves, they're trying to disqualify the people. Yeah, and that's helpful because the reason we have to explain that is because the Nephilim were there prior to the flood. Right. And the flood came after that and wiped out everybody, we believe, except for Noah and his family. So where did they come from? Otherwise, if they're still around, we've got a a question there. Maybe the angels are still propagating. That's a possibility. It's Uh, possible, yeah. But you you don't see that in Scripture is my point. So it's probably less likely than the fact that these guys are just terrified. And we do see giants in the future. I mean, you've got Goliath. We do have giants. And in fact, there's multiple multiple Goliath. Goliath. He's got got brothers. Goliathan. Goliathian. Moosin. Well, one of the things that, that I was thinking about in reflecting on these few chapters is the, the concept that God calls us to do hard things. Uh, it, it's true that, that man, this is a, a, a big undertaking to take possession of the promised land, that there was going to be battles and wars and, and fights that took place that were going to be part of taking possession of the promised land. And yet God was going to go with his people. God was going to be there alongside them. And this is something that, that God had commended and commanded his people to do. And so God often does call us to do hard things, but that doesn't mean that just because it's hard doesn't mean that God isn't there with us in the process. Doesn't mean that this isn't God's will for us. If we encounter hard things for us to do as believers in life, that doesn't mean, man, I'm not walking according to God's will. If I'm running into opposition or if I'm running into difficult situations, God often does call us into difficult situations. And sometimes when we want to tap out of that, that's when we're not in accordance with God's will, not necessarily when we find ourselves in a situation where, man, this is this is really hard. Probably not unlike, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to best say this, probably most of our lives, God is not interested in you being comfortable. Yeah, There are periods where we're comfortable. And I think those are periods of rest and of recovery, of recalibration perhaps. But most of my life, the time that I've grown the most and have done the most good have been periods of great stretching and great difficulty. And I think it's part of God's MO to do that with his people. He doesn't like leaving us in a state of complacency because then it means that we're not we're not growing into the image of Christ. And growth is challenging and it's difficult. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were, were happening. Yeah. Um, should be expected. So. Good reference. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in. Keep reading your Bibles and tune in tomorrow as we continue in the book of Numbers. See you then, guys. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.